somewhere between India and the United States, although we're feeling closer to the United States than we have been. That's a good, good thing. And uh, I'm really encouraged by what the Lord is doing. You know, sometimes you have to get out of your own world, your own circumstances, and your own routines to gain perspective. And I feel like on this trip, um, for me personally, uh, that happened. I was able to see things from a different angle, and it really helped me, really encouraged me. One thing that I saw was just the beauty of this place here. I know I've said it many times already today, but how grateful we are to belong to a congregation like this congregation. Many of your faces would come up before me at different times, and as a pastor, knowing I had zero worries about this place. Zero. I mean, there's always a care that goes with the pastor's heart, caring for you all and thinking of you all and so on. But, but zero worries, just knowing that the word was being preached and there were faithful people standing their watch and just all the, all the pieces that are required for a church to exist and be healthy. I knew they were in place and I knew people were, were current and counted for even though the attendance tends to drop when pastors travel, uh, I could feel the beauty of this place, and I thank God for that. It did empower us to stay focused on why we were there, and uh, it was a wonderful and a beautiful thing. As often is the case, um, you know, prepare your heart when it comes, an opportunity comes, arises for ministry, and uh, you prepare some notes. Our going on this particular time was a little chaotic, circumstantially, before we left. There was all kinds of things in flux, <clears throat> and really didn't feel like I had a clear path of ministry in front of me as far as knowing exactly what we would be speaking on, but I had this, just this peace resting upon my life, knowing God was sending us, knowing that it was all going to work out, so... I brought all of my notes and my heart prepared before the Lord. And when we got on the ground, God began to speak, which is such a beautiful thing. And as he was, <clears throat> there was a particular area that kept coming back to me. And as I re returned home, I, I felt the Lord expanding on what he had been speaking to me while in India and on a couple occasions had had opportunity to speak to some of this. So I'd like to talk this morning to you, uh, you know, I put it on the marquee out here, but about the world, what's next? And uh, maybe you're like many watching world circumstances. While we're there, we get the news report of what happened in Paris and all these constant unfoldings of things. And uh, the good news is what's next is good even though there's evil happening in the world and if you've come today and you're hungry and you're longing to be in the place that you should be I believe God's going to help us this morning and as he's willing over the next few weeks heading into the wonderful time that we celebrate the birth of Christ love the verse that was quoted this morning you know, unto us a child is born. Thank God for the, the child Jesus, but unto us a son is given. Yeah. 
a son and on that son the government will rest you want to know what's coming the government of God the kingdom of God that's what's getting ready to happen but I want you to, if you will just to turn with me to the book of Revelation we're gonna just come right out the gate Revelations 1 and 1 and I just want to lay a few pieces on the table that with the help of the Holy Spirit we can begin building upon for end things or things related to the end. Now when you use the word end, a lot of people go into depression, you know. But let me, let me, let me just help you here a little bit today. We're not talking about the end of all things. We're talking about the end of current things. We're talking about the end of this current system, this current age, this current world as it is. It has an end, and actually that's good news. Because the path it's on and all that it's developing and forming right now is really in a very destructive, um, harmful flow. And God, God's got an end to that, and he's going to set up something much greater. So when we're talking about the end, Jesus says, lift up your eyes. <laughs> you know, because this is, this is the glorious appearing of God's kingdom and God's authority in the earth. We shouldn't be like others who have no hope. So, Revelations chapter 1. Holy Spirit, we thank you today for your presence and your ability, your ministry to teach and help us understand. We acknowledge today we all need your help. And so would you come and now take your words, fit them to our lives in this generation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Revelations chapter 1. You know, so the book of Revelation is a book of end things. It's a book about the end of this age and it's a very important book though it is you know covered in all kinds of symbolism and all kinds of imagery and a lot of people get a little spooked out by that they don't know what to do with it there's a lot of misinterpretation that goes on because of all of this um, imagery and such but but I believe that God is so willing the author of the book is willing to help us understand the book as it relates to us in our generation. So Revelations chapter 1 start, starts off with an important uh, thought. It says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him. So God the Father gave God the Son, the Lord Jesus, a revelation to show his servants the things that must soon take place. So Verse 1, chapter 1. This is the revelation that God the Father gave to God the Son about things that are about to happen. And the reason He gave it to the Son is so the Son could share it with us. Do you see that? It's pretty simple. It's the revelation that Jesus has. Now I say that because today there are a lot of people having revelations about end time things. What's going to happen at the end of the age? Just Google it, you know? And, and maybe you shouldn't Google it, you know? But I mean, there's just so many people with so many opinions about what's going to happen at the end, right? And you've got credible people, you know, and, and some of which I'm sure are having some genuine insights. But in the midst of all that confusion, often, we have this revelation, the revelation, the one true revelation, given by God the Father to God the Son concerning the end of the age. This is the revelation Jesus has had. Are you interested? 
You know, it's nice to know the revelation that minister so-and-so had and leader so-and-so had, but this is the revelation Jesus had from the Father about how things would be at the end, and his purpose for giving the revelation was to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Did you know God doesn't want any of us ignorant about what's happening and going to happen in the world. It is not his desire for us to be in the dark. He wants us in the light. Interesting thing that I see when I read that is that if we want to know the facts about the end of the age, we're going to have to get them from Jesus via the Holy Spirit and his word. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of people racing around trying to figure out what to do and how to what to do with their finances, what to do with their, you know, 401ks, what to do with, you know, this and that. And they're try- racing around looking for answers on what to do as problems keep mounting. Should I, should I own a gun? Should I not? I mean, just the questions go on and on. And people, should I buy gold and silver? Should I? On and on and on. If you want to know what to do at the end of the age, there's one person who's got the answers. He received it from the Father, Jesus the Son, and he's willing to share it. That's the point here to this verse 1. He, was, he received this to share it. So we can't, you know, many times we want the information without the relationship. We want the information without the relationship. But God is saying, if you, if you really want to know, here's how you'll know, you know, this is eternal life that you might know him, the Son. That's what it's really ultimately all about. And so as the squeeze is on, as troubles increase, clearly the book of Revelation, if you read it through, it paints a lot of world problems. There's a lot of problems prophesied that are coming. They're already here on the earth. But uh, as the squeeze happens, I believe it's the catalyst for bringing us where we're supposed to be anyways which is into a totally dependent relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That we'll be able to say, as he did, we can of our own selves do nothing. So, this idea of God the Father speaking to the Son in order to speak to us is further highlighted in the book of Hebrews. I'm just giving a few initial verses here, so just kind of hang with me. Hebrews chapter 1 In verse 1 and 2, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, there's that idea, in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. You know, there's nothing that goes on in this world that Jesus doesn't have a pulse on and His eye on. Yeah, it was such an interesting thing while we were on this trip. I had some, I I was navigating certain sensitive issues while we were there. And, you know, a little trying to be wise concerning um, those in the country who might look at what we were doing as a threat. Okay, so I'm aware of all this stuff. And one day I was just thinking about it and the Lord said, He says, I'm watching you a lot more than they're watching you. 
I said, well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, I, I was concerned about people that might be watching and certain things, you know. And the Lord says, I've got my eye on you more than they do. I was like, that's cool. God has his eye on us. And if God is watching us, and God, you know, he's got his eye on everything. And if we're under his hand, in his will, there is no need for fear of anything that the world can roll out our way. So in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. He's appointed him heir of all things, the very one who created the world. He's speaking to his church first. This is some interesting stuff. I'm just giving you some ideas to get your head around here because I think this is important. You know, you want to know who God is speaking to right now. He's not just sp speaking to the world, you know, he's not out there just right now. You want to know what the Lord is doing. I'm convinced he's speaking to his church and preparing his church to be what the church is supposed to be at the end of the age, which is not a group hiding in caves somewhere protecting their few assets. That is not God's view of the church at the end of the age. God sees a glorious church, a church that's without spot or wrinkle, who's a triumphant church, who is a witness in the midst of the darkness that the world is encountering. A witness in the midst of it all. And that's what I believe God is actually raising up. You know, the most important focal point in this hour is not Syria and Russia. It's not Iran. From heaven's perspective, I, I'm just, I submit this to you. Take it, do whatever you want with it. You know, we're down here on an earthly plane looking at all the world events and we're going, okay, the most important things happening right now are right there and right there. Let me tell you, I believe the most important thing right now, the focal point of heaven is on the church to hear and receive her mandate from the Lord. God is readying a people. Now, that doesn't mean what's going on in the world doesn't have significance. I'm not saying any of that stuff doesn't matter. None of that. I'm just saying, for me, the most important focal point right now of heaven on the timeline of God is related to the church and her response to the call of God to be the church in this generation. God wants us ready because our bridegroom is coming. He also wants us about his business when he returns. So the book of Revelation, the book of end things, starts off with letters to the churches. Not letters to the world, letters to the churches. Before the book ever gets into all the end time woes and difficulties, God wants the church to know her place and to have a proper perspective. These letters come uh, to seven churches, literal physical churches in the time of Christ that were in Asia Minor, which is modern Turkey today. <clears throat> and uh, the letters come to encourage, to bring truth, and to give opportunities to change and get things right. Okay? So, if you're with me, Right now, you want to know what's next in the world. 
Well, to know what's next, it's good to know what is current. And what's current is God is speaking all over the world. Just came back from the other side of the planet, hearing the Spirit of God saying the same thing. God is speaking all over the world to His church to come and take her rightful place. The invitation is out. And God is wooing and drawing and calling people so that we can be in place, empowered, and ready to represent the Lord in the hour of His coming. It's nice to talk about the other things. It's nice to consider them and to try to see the end of the matter. And... uh, God's going to help us do that, but I'm believing that the most important thing is to say, God, what are you telling me right now as it relates to what's about to come? So the letter is to the churches. Years ago, I taught through them. Maybe you were here. We went through all seven churches. And we asked ourselves, which one are we? <laughs> you know, It's funny, isn't it, how Jesus would come down to those churches and he would say, you know, I know that other people say this about you. But let me tell you what I say. It's such a sober thing when Jesus says, I know you have a reputation among other people and other Christians, and other people think that this and then that, and you're all this in a bag of chips. But let me tell you what I say about you. And one of the things that we, I think, came away from that study with, I know I did, was the idea that The only opinion that really matters is Jesus' opinion. At the end of the day, it's only his opinion that counts. And so one of the things we should be asking is, God, what do you say about my personal life? What do you say about this congregation? What do you have to say about the church in America? What You know, you can broaden that lens as wide as you want. But the point is, what does heaven have to say? So for me, there there is a season right now. I I had this... Some of you are going to think I'm a kook when I share this, but I'm going to do it anyways. I had a a series of strange dreams last night, and I'm asking myself, is this malaria medicine? Or is this like heaven trying to talk to me or whatever? And Some of them, I feel like the Lord was in them, but there was this one really weird detail. And I, you know, you think, okay, you, you have lost it, Pastor. But in this dream, we were getting away from some, uh, some people and it was almost like Alice in Wonderland. Um, the, the, the way out, a clothes dryer, you open the door. <laughs> I know you say, that's malaria, Pastor. That's malaria medicine. Okay, a clothes dryer. And I had to crawl through this dryer, which gave way to a washing machine. And then there was some hatch that went out, and you could get escape that way. And I'm thinking, I woke up and I thought, that is just goofy. What, you know, what, what? That is just weird. And while we're worshiping today, this thought came to me. Now I just give it to you so you can say what a funny pastor you have. <laughs> but the thought to me that came to me was the way out is through the process of being cleaned. Amen. The way out. Will you let God clean you? looking for a way out, looking for an escape. Now, I know that sounds strange and silly, and if I didn't have prophets in the Bible who did really bizarre things, I wouldn't even mention it. But it rang true in my spirit, whether you like the 
picture or not, there is a process right now underway in the church, and it is a process of cleaning. It is a process, we sang about it, about the holiness of God. It's a process where the Holy Spirit is wanting to know if we're going to go His way, strange as it may seem, to actually get where He wants us to be. I say that because I believe the church is hearing or should be hearing a call from heaven. Are you willing to walk with me? Let me purge you. Let me cleanse you. Let me deal with your life. And if you are, I'm going to count you worthy at the end of the age. I'll take time later to get into some of that stuff. So you got these letters. They come to the churches. They give perspective. Here's what I say about where you are. God, give us a heart. Give us a heart, Lord, that really wants to know. A genuine heart that's interested to know what heaven has to say about where we are. What is heaven speaking to us in this hour? So John, who's watching this vision, he's receiving this dictation from the angel uh, in chapter 4 of this book so chapters 2 and 3 the book of Revelation you've got the letters to the churches not going to take time today to go through those but uh, in chapter 4 it says this John in Revelations 1 and 4 after, I'm sorry four and, chapter 4 and verse 1 after this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were twenty-four thrones or seats, and seated on those thrones or seats were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. So here, the churches have been spoken to, and now John, God's getting ready to show John what's about to happen in the world. Okay? Anybody interested to know what's going to happen in the world? God, what's going to happen? And God's way of showing John is there's a door that's open, and He says to him, John, Come up here. You're not going to get a revelation about what's going to happen in the world by watching CNN and Fox News. Thank God. I, I like to watch the news. You know, I'm interested in what's going on. But that's not where we're going to get the revelation and the information we need about the end of the age. And if you're using those sources as your means to figure it all out, you're going to be woefully disappointed and misguided. The revelation that God wants to give. I want to show you things to come. Yes, Lord, I want to know. And then he says, come up here. And John says, immediately, I was in the Spirit. And the first thing I saw was a throne and one sitting on the throne. Now, do you want to know 
what's going to happen, what the future holds. You want to know what the future's about? The very first thing, because he says, come up here, I'm going to show you things to come. The very first thing he shows him is a throne. You want to know what's going to come? The throne. You want to know what the end's going to look like? The throne. You want to know what it's all going to look like and when it's all said and done? The throne. The throne, the throne, the throne. He says, John, I want your heart so settled and anchored at the end of the age because yes, it's true, I'm going to show you all kinds of troubles down on the earth, but I want you to know, John, I am seated on my throne. And men and the devil are not in charge of the end of the age. That's an absolute emphatic fact in the scripture. I know it's been spoken before, but I'll just say it while I'm here. You know, John sees the book with the seals, the seven seals that contain all the detail about the end of the age. And, uh, and there's no one found worthy to open the seals of the book. No one is found worthy. And John begins weeping because that's got all the detail. That's got the strategy. That tells me what I'm supposed to do. That's everything I need to know. And there's nobody to open it. And the angel says to him, don't weep because there's one who's found worthy. And he said he saw a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He saw Jesus Jesus, he has been found worthy to open the seals of the book. Jesus has. So that said, when the seals start opening and you start seeing all the troubles that come behind each seal, it's not the devil opening the seals. That's what the scripture just finished saying. It's Jesus who's been found worthy to open the seals. Now I know many of you know this already, but it's a good reminder. The devil's not in charge of world events. Jesus, the one found worthy, is in charge of all that will happen. It, if he doesn't allow it, and that doesn't mean he's the author of the evil, but it means he's in charge of when things and how things are allowed to roll out on history. And if you don't have, and I don't have a vision for the greatness of God, we'll be moved by fear. You know, the Bible says, Jesus himself speaking said, men's hearts will fail them because of fear of the things that are coming upon the earth. You're going to be led by fear or you're going to be led by a revelation of the throne of God. God is in charge. God is the ultimate and the absolute. Jesus said, you have no power over me, Pilate, except it were given to you from above. You don't have power over me. And yet here he was getting ready to crucify him. But Jesus said, you don't, you don't even... Don't you thinking yourself way bigger than you should? You don't have that kind of power. My father has to give it to you. The plan of God is working out. So to be a people, come on, who are going to be ready and who are going to know what the end of the world is about and what God, this current age and what we're supposed to be doing, the first thing God is saying is he's issuing an invitation. Come up here. That's what I believe the Spirit of God is saying today. I'm looking for a people who are willing to let go of earthly things and step up with me into another realm because from that place I want to show you some things that are going to come. It's not a mandate, it's an invitation. There's an invitation that's going out. You want to know what the Spirit of God is doing today? He's inviting the church, His people, up 
into a place, a vantage point, to behold and understand what's about to happen. Things to come. I'm going to show you things to come. And he shows him a throne. Praise God for the throne. Things to come. God seated. Thank the Lord for those wonderful scriptures from our children this morning. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. The government shall be upon His shoulders. That's the things to come. That's the end of it all. God's in charge. That's why we should be encouraged, not discouraged. We should be happy, not depressed. Amen. Amen. So smile. Praise God. And then he sees something else around the throne. He sees 24 seats and 24 elders seated on those seats. Again, as you're looking at this book, you cannot escape the fact that there's imagery, prophetic imagery here. And I know that, you know, again, people can get all squirrely with their interpretations of what these images mean. But God chose to write the book with the imagery, not me. He wants us to understand something from it, or He wouldn't have put it there. And I just submit to you what these 24 seats represent, to me, is a royal priesthood of believers. Now you say, where do you get that from? Well, there's 24 seats around this throne. And the priesthood of old was broken into 24 courses. You can read this in 1 Chronicles chapter 24. The priesthood of old was segregated into 24 different courses of service. They were basically round-the-clock shift workers. Okay, and They would do a week's service at a time, but there was 24 courses of the priesthood. We know that Peter tells us that we are what? A royal priesthood. Now notice these 24 elders seated around the throne are wearing crowns, right? Symbol of royalty. So, yeah, priest and kings and priests unto the Lord. So Peter tells us that, you know, we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar sight, <laughs> peculiar people, set apart people. But here, with these seats around the throne, I'm convinced these seats are speaking about a priesthood of believers who have been called up into a place that have put God at the center of all they are doing and saying. Everything they're about has God in His rightful place. God is not a sideline issue that you know, we're asking God to come bless our ministry. No, no, no. We've given up our ministries. And we said, God, the only thing I'm interested in is having you at the center. My ministry only exists as a servant to your ministry. I'm, I'm here as your servant, Lord. I, you're at the middle of everything. You can tell a people who are actually flowing in this because their conversations don't center around the preacher. They center around the one seated on the throne. You can tell the, 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 the culture of this kind of people. And I believe this is a calling. God is saying, come up here with me. I want to show you things to come, but I can't let you... You won't see them if you're all wrapped around all the politics, even of Christianity. All this earthly, carnal 
stuff where we're all jockeying for our titles and positions and names. God's saying, I'm looking for a people who forsake all that stuff and put me at the center and who will answer the call. Come up here. Now, it's interesting the way God describes this scene. God seated at the center. 24 seats and 24 elders sitting upon the seats. Now, why, would, why didn't God just say there was 24 elders sitting on seats? He said, no, there was 24, I saw 24 seats, and then I saw 24 elders sitting on the seats, as if to say there was a, pos- a place available and somebody responded to the invitation and is now sitting in the spot. There's a spot I want you to know that there's a spot available and I also want you to know that there's people who've said yes to the spot. I will go be there. I will be that people. Right? 24 seats and 24 people who have answered the call or I believe (laughs) there's going to be the seats are going to be filled. You know, sometime back we talked through Luke's Jesus' story of the Great Supper in Luke 14, beginning in verse 16. And Jesus says, A man made a great feast, a great supper. And when everything was ready, he had spent so much on getting it all ready, he sent out his servants to bid those who were bidden to the feast, and they all with one accord began to make excuses as to why they couldn't come. One said, I've bought some land and I need to go see it. Another bought some ox and he needed to go try him out. Another got married and, you know, so on. And so the servants came back and they said to the master, you know, I'm so sorry, but people were too busy to answer your invitation. And the the master was angry in a righteous way. He was angry. And he said, go back out and get the the blind and the the crippled and the maimed. Get those that 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 the world doesn't value, that the world has pushed aside. Go get them and invite them because they'll understand the greatness of the privilege of this calling. And so they go back out and they bring them in. They all come. And we said this back in that teaching, but if you're going to be a part of bringing those kind of people, they're going to need help. They're blind. They're crippled. They don't just come. You know, we all want, we want people to join our churches that are financially stable. Come on, talk to me. You know, no personality issues at all. They're just as sweet to be around. There, there ain't no problems anywhere. You know, and, and we, but guess what? They're not coming. Why? Because they're so successful. I don't, I don't have a need. But I'm telling you right now, there are 24 seats waiting to be filled by a people who see their need and even after that first group comes you know when he goes out to the crippled and the halt and the maimed and they come in there was still room and he says now I want you to go even lower yet How, what would lower yet look like to you you well, that's a good answer brother amen this isn't for the elite it's not for the, the brilliant you know thank God not many wise there are the, those who are wise not many noble there are a few noble people you know who that come but the tendency is when we've got it all together in this world we don't tend to be responders to the call of God 
when we're aware of our needs and our brokenness and, and, our, and our utter depravity, really, without the grace of God, we tend to be more of a responder to the things of the Lord. So he says, I want you to go out there into the highways and the hedges and whosoever will come. Come. Why? Because my house is going to be filled. So I kind of had this insight in my own life that there's a seat, metaphorically speaking, around the throne of God with my name on it. And I've decided to not let somebody else sit on my seat. You know? Uh, it's got my name on it. It's the one God ordained for me. It's not guaranteed I'll be there. That's how I see it. I think there's an invitation. And God wants to know what I'm going to do. Every person must personally weigh in on this invitation. You can't get in on your mama's faith, your grandma's faith. It's not doesn't work that way. There, it's, it, there comes a point where you must weigh in and say, you know what? I'm going to answer that call to come up into a different place with God and be seated around Him instead of asking God to build around me. God, just come and meet my needs. Come and God, would you set up your kingdom around me? God says, how about you set up your kingdom around mine? And you'll find that my kingdom has a lot more to offer than yours. The royal priesthood positioned there. It's interesting. Let me just read it to you. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a cho chosen generation, <clears throat> a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of Him. You want to know what's going on around the throne? These are radical, worshiping, praising people. They, they're extolling the greatness of who God is. That we should show forth the praises of Him who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And look at this next verse. Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. To me, this is just a, a, a reiteration and a confirmation of those that are seated around this throne. You know, it's, it's not a bunch of got-it-all-together people. <laughs> this is the good news of the gospel. That means you're in, I'm in. We're all invited here, you know. 24 seats and 24 elders. Oh my gosh, they're all so spiritual. Not so. 24 elders, 24 seats. Like in the story of the Great Supper, the halt, the blind, the maim, who simply said, with you, I will go. Not like I can bring you all of my accomplishments, God. What I bring you is my brokenness that you might receive glory through the contrast of my nothingness. Arthur Burt used to tell a story years ago about a jeweler who found a pearl of such great price. Beautiful, spotless pearl, flawless pearl. And he took the pearl and he wanted to display it. And the way he chose to display it by was getting a little black box made out of velvet worth about a buck. 
and he put the pearl priceless pearl in a little black velvet box worth about a dollar why because it made the pearl pop it made it stand out it was there for contrast and so many times we're thinking that what God needs is my beauty that God needs me to be so perfect and then the world will know actually not what God is looking for is the contrast therefore we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the glory come on the glory might be of God and not of us this, this is so liberating if you can catch this God has called us up not because we're good and got it all figured out but because he's looking for a people who will give glory where glory is due glory to God that means we're in we're not out you know you were you were on your way out because of all your mistakes maybe you came here today thinking I you know it's my last ditch effort and I'm going to go to church so the preacher can beat me up <laughs> guess what the preacher's not beating you up preachers here to lift you up Amen. preachers here to say hey guess what there's a calling an end time people a priesthood of believers who have responded to the call there's a seat and then there's someone seated on the seat is that you today are you here to say God you know with all my warts all my weaknesses all my imperfections here I am today if you have me Lord here I am I'll be seated there because somebody's going to be seated there according to the scripture his house will be full his house will be full every you know isn't it good to know that there's 24 seats and it wasn't there was 18 of them no 24 seats and 24 elders seated on those seats that's God's commitment and he'll he'll go as low as he's got to go to fill the seats that means he's coming down for you and me and that wasn't an insult that was an invitation amen he's coming for you and me we're in don't let your weaknesses disqualify you don't let your frailties be the voice in your head that say you can't come near to God let me tell you that's why the blood of Christ was shed so that we could come in actually I'm convinced that some of the most unlikely unexpected people are going to carry the most glory in this hour because it'll be to the glory of God and not to the glory of man. Come up here. I want to show you things to come. 1 Samuel 2 and 8 says this of God. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and to inherit a seat of honor. That's the way God works. He takes the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap and he makes them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. Glory to God. So we who were not a people are now considered the people of God. We who had not obtained mercy have now obtained mercy. 
So chapter 4 is where we've been looking. John, come up here. I want to show you things to come. But chapter 4 is preceded by chapter 3, right? And in chapter 3, we already said it, Jesus is addressing the churches. And the last church in chapter 3 that he finished up with, because that really kind of segues into chapter 4, the last church he's dealing with is the Laodicean church. Many think that that's a picture of the end age church. Now, some people break that up differently, but the reason they say that is because that church, if you remember, is the one that says, we are rich and have need of nothing. Very self-reliant, very self-confident. If nothing else, people would say that's the church of the West. Okay, our culture here in America and such. And they have need of nothing. And Jesus, in his straightforward style, is telling them, listen, you think you got it together, but you're blind and miserable and naked and poor. And I counsel you to buy of me gold that's been you know, tried in the fire and so on. And then in verse 19, chapter 3, verse 19, he says, those whom I love... I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Basically, he says, listen, if I'm correcting you in an area or if I'm moving on your life in a certain area, he says, it's good news because I only do this to people I love. This isn't for people that I'm not thinking about. This is for people I love. So if you're feeling my hand on your life and I'm steering you in some areas, he says, take heart, be zealous and repent knowing that I'm working with you and I'm helping you this thing. And then he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone, say anyone with me, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now notice this. He's saying, you know, I'm in the business right now of, of, of helping my church throughout the earth gain a proper perspective of her condition. So you want to know the Spirit of God right now is moving among the churches. And it's easy to point to ones overseas, but let's talk about us. God's moving among us for love's sake. Isn't it good to know he's not mad at us, but he actually loves us so much that he's willing to correct where needed and encourage where needed. And whatever we have need of, he's giving us reality. Here's reality concerning your condition. And then he says, listen, I'm standing and I'm knocking. If somebody will open up anybody will open up to me. Here's my promise. I will come in and I will sup with you. I'll dine with you and you with me. And then the very next thought, and he that overcomes, I'm convinced of this, that I'm never going to overcome if I don't open the door to my heart. I'm never going to overcome if I don't first open the door and then I let him in. Maybe you're here today. Please just hear it this way. Maybe you're here today and God is simply knocking at your heart. Just knocking. Wanting to know if you will open the door and let him in. He knows you can't make it on your own. He knows you can't do it on your own. That's why he's come knocking. I'm here to help you. I know you're a mess. I know you're struggling. I know you've got addictions. I know you've got all these issues rushing around in your family. I know God knows it all. 
And he says, that's why I'm here. I'm here knocking at your door. And if you'll open to me, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to come and I'm going to sup with you. I'm going to feed and eat and I'm going to help you overcome. It all begins with letting him in. <laughs> you know, just let him in. I find that we're afraid to open our door because we think he's going to see something he's not already seen. You got the wrong God. Telling you, God has seen every, he's seen behind the door, under the bed, he knows it all. In the closet, got it all. Nothing escapes. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. There is no hiding the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So he's, he's, he already knows you. That's kind of freeing after you get over the shock of it all. Right? And then he says, will you let me in? Because your only hope is if you open that door and let me in. And I'm going to come, not to beat you up, I'm going to come dine with you. Think of Peter after the resurrection. Miserable failure. Denied the Lord three times. Totally lost his position of greatness in his own thinking and Jesus comes and he says throw the net guys on the other side they haven't caught any fish you know the story they catch a huge thing of fish Peter jumps in the water and comes there and Jesus has prepared a meal for dining he wasn't saying Peter what are you doing you lazy bum nothing he, he actually prepared it had a fire had some fish said bring your fish we're going to eat we're going to dine together because I want to heal your messed up heart. And I'm not about to condemn you and smush you down in your hour of failure. I'm here to help you to overcome. Isn't that wonderful to know about the Lord? Our job is to open the heart. His job is to feed us and help us to get there. I know I've said it many times, but Jesus, when calling his disciples, he says, come and follow me. Come on, somebody finish it for me. And I will make you a fisher of men. I find that so much of our Christianity is about us making ourselves, you know. He says, no, you can't make yourself anything. Your job is to follow. My job, the Lord would say, is to make you. Oh, so my job is to open my heart and your job is to come and do the work? Yes, you keep the door open Leave me opportunities, the Lord would say, to come and work in you and to change you and to, to mold and shape you. I will do the work and ultimately you will overcome. So, wonderful. Revelations 3, I stand at the door and knock. Revelations 4, behold, I saw a door open in heaven and I heard a voice saying, two doors the door of our heart, the door in heaven. Wanting to see things up here, it all starts right here. With the heart. Here's the Lord just tapping today on our hearts. I'm knocking. If any man will open his heart, I believe that's the door we're dealing with here. I'm standing and knocking. If any man will open to me, anyone, don't have to have it together, just anyone. I will come and eat 
I will give you what it's going to take to overcome. And if you do, the promise here is this, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He that has an ear. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just saying, you know, Pastor, that's awesome. It's good to know that I'm qualified in all of my weaknesses, but my circumstances, you know. Think of John, the revelator, and his circumstances when he had this experience. Where was he? He was in prison, the Isle of Patmos. He's exiled. Yeah. He's out there in this really terrible place. And that very place becomes the stage of an open heavens and God revealing the end of the age. So I find that many times there's, we, say, we say to ourselves, I, I'm disqualified because I'm struggling with my life. I've got sin issues. I've got failures in my life. I, I, I'm disqualified. I'm lame. I'm crippled spiritually at times. I'm disqualified. Or we say circumstantially. My circumstances don't allow me to come up and be with God at this place, this priesthood of believers. And I'm here to say today, by the Spirit of the Lord, that both your circumstances and your own personal walk, though it matters, I have to say it, will not be the ultimate things that qualify or disqualify. What qualifies us is our response to the invitation. No matter where you are, in prison, on Patmos, you know, maybe you're without a job right now. Maybe you're going through a divorce. Maybe you're going, and you're all these things, and you're saying to yourself, you know, Pastor, I'd love to answer that call, but I can't do it because of. And you've got your list. You've got your list. I can feel it. Everybody's got their list. I can't because. And you write down your reasons. And God is here by the Spirit, I'm convinced today, saying to us all, those things should never decide whether you can answer this call or not. Because it's to whosoever will that will let me in and say, come up here. You know, come up here. And I'm going to show you things to come. So here's the invitation. I've been asking the Lord in my own life and for us as a congregation I don't want to just be any church in this hour. I don't want to be. I don't want to be just, you know, I don't want to miss the calling. And I believe what God is saying is that He wants us to be a people who will answer the call to come up, have Him at the center. And this isn't an event, by the way, this is a lifestyle. This is, we're talking about a culture that we create together, collectively, intentionally as a people. We're going to be a people who answer this call to come up and have God at the center, to sit on the seat with our name on it. It's a personal decision. Every one of us is going to make, and if you, if you reject it, I'm convinced somebody else is going to come and fill it. But as a people, we say, God, you know what? We want to be that people. A royal priesthood who worship you, who respond when heaven responds.
that you can show things that are about to come so when they come, we can be the light of the world in a dark place. Who's it for? Whosoever will. The poor, the halt, the maim, the difficult circumstances, whoever you may be. So this morning, here's how I feel like we're supposed to move because God willing, over the next few weeks, heading into the Christmas celebration season and beyond perhaps, I want to talk about the throne of God. I want to talk about the authority of that throne. I want to talk about how from that place God is sending people, sending from the presence of the Lord. You know, angels were sent from the presence of God and I believe God's people are going to be sent from the presence of the Lord. And as a people, I'm calling us, because I believe the Spirit of God's calling us, up. Amen. Come up here. Get out from down here. Stop putting all your confidence in earthly things. Come on up here with me. We're going to just believe God together to respond to such a call. Amen? So why don't we get up on our feet, if you don't mind, this morning. And let's take a few moments and pray. And uh, It's always a temptation, isn't there? To come to church, sing a few songs, say amen to the preacher so he knows you love him, and then go home. I'm asking God to help us get past that and to hear the call of heaven. Either I'm just speaking or God is speaking. You have to decide. The call of heaven. I'm going to ask the, uh, the India team, if they're around, whoever, whosoever's here of that team, we're going to just hang out here and up here. And if you want prayer this morning as we gear up to go out of here um, in a bit, we're going to just be here to pray and just lay hands because I feel like we're carrying something. Hate to not see it get handed off somewhere. Um, praise the Lord. Jennifer, would it be possible for you to play? Is that doable? Yeah, awesome. <clears throat> Father, I want to thank you right now for this, this beautiful congregation and for this time. God, I thank you for helping us to hear the call today. Lord, you've called us up. And you're standing even now knocking at the door of our hearts. Lord, I know it's beyond just an emotional thing. It's, a, it's an invitation from you to us to join you where you are. Lord, your instruction to us was to pray that it would be on earth like it is in heaven. How can we have it if we've never been to heaven and seen and, and observed with you, Lord, if we've not answered the call. I'm asking right now, Holy Spirit, as you move in this congregation today, for the person who's been struggling with sin, who's disqualified themselves, God, I want to thank you today that your word is to that person today. For the person trapped in their circumstances this morning, 
No way out. Lord, like John, I want to thank you that that circumstance does not determine their ability to open the heart. Holy Spirit, right now, we just humble ourselves under your mighty hand. God, would you come and open our ears to hear the call? Lord, today I say to you personally, here's my heart, Lord. I open it to you. I invite you in. If that's you today and you want to pray that, why don't you just in your own words, in your own words, form a response to the Lord today. God, would you come Come in, Lord, and sup and feed and, and meet us right where we are today. Lord, those that are discouraged and broken and just on the edge of giving up, God, we just lay it all at your feet today. We need help, Holy Spirit. We don't want to live down here, Lord, where all the world is scratching around for answers. We want to be that glorious church seated with you high above principalities and powers to rule and to reign with you from above not from beneath all these things God I thank you today by your spirit come and woo us up Father here we are Jesus here we are, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit.